All right, Hawk fans. Uh, hello. It's been a while, a couple of weeks. Apologize for that, but uh, schedules, Thanksgiving, the holidays, the whole spiel got in the way. Uh, I know you've all been dying uh, to get the Softy Hawk Blogger po- uh, podcast back on your phone, and uh, we are happy to oblige. Uh, Brian Nemhauser, Hawk Blogger himself, with us uh, after a couple weeks off. Brian, we've missed you. How are you, pal? What's going on? Oh, I'm doing well, man, and and, and you kid, but I, I I hear people all the time. Uh, they apparently really want to hear you and I talk about the Seahawks. So uh, I guess we gotta gotta give them a solid. Just gotta give the people what they want, baby. It's amazing how many people listen to this thing, uh, which I'm <laughs> completely exaggerating. I'm not sure if anybody hears this thing, but we enjoy talking <laughs> Seahawks football, even if it's just you and me. And why don't we, before we talk about what we saw against Carolina and what we expect to see against the Niners with the return of Richard Sherman. To the clink. Let's let's look at this from the thirty-five thousand foot view. Six and five after eleven games, after twelve weeks, after all the players that this team lost over the offseason. Uh, what looked like a rebuilding year in some ways going in has turned into anything but. Uh, I've I've said it before. I want to get your thoughts on it, Brian. That I, I think this is one of Pete Carroll's best coaching jobs ever, if not maybe his best coaching job ever. Uh, let's get kind of the view from thirty thousand feet uh, after uh, eleven games. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I, I see if you just look at this roster from a talent perspective, I feel like the Seahawks roster is bottom third of the NFL right now mm-hmm. in in talent and. And that doesn't mean that all the players will always be bottom third, but in terms of youth and, and where they are right now, they're just not a super talented roster. And I think, I mean, look, for them to not – six and five is not that glamorous of a record, but they've been in every game. They've gone toe-to-toe with the Rams twice. They've gone toe-to-toe with the Chargers. Um, you know, you could really say that they, they could have or should have won all of those games. And uh, they went toe-to-toe with the Bears, you know. Um, so, anyway, I, I think that – They've they've really outperformed my expectations. And what's one of the crazy things, Dave, is there's a significant portion of people that are ready to move on from Pete Carroll. They're already thinking about Russell Wilson getting a big contract in a few years, and their point of view is the Seahawks cannot win if Russell Wilson's making thirty-five million dollars a year yeah. and not and doing a Pete Carroll low volume passing system and honestly dave i think that's absolutely crazy well it is crazy uh and it's crazy for a couple of reasons first of all people like to quote and i've done this myself i'll 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 be honest i've been guilty of it as well uh that you know when a quarterback takes up a certain percentage of the salary cap then your odds of winning a super bowl go way down and if russell wilson signs a new contract which he will uh, and he makes a bunch of money which he will that may be the case in the first year or two, but once the salary cap continues to go up and once the percentage of your quarterback salary continues to go down, that is no longer a problem. But I think what people forget is that this football team has never over the long haul relied on their quarterback and never relied on their passing game. It's always been about defense and running the ball uh, under Pete Carroll, and that's the way it is right now. I mean, good God, everything they did over the offseason was geared towards retooling the running game and getting back to playing at least, you know, okay average defense, which the Seahawks are doing more than their share of that right now. So, look, as long as they keep drafting well, which all of a sudden that 2000 2017 draft looks amazing by the way and as long as they continue to put resources into running the football uh they're going to be just fine no matter how much the quarterback's getting paid i think yeah and i don't want to like 
minimize the the challenge of if you got any one player making that much of the cap, it is really hard. And for people that don't know, you know, I think the number the the highest number that that any quarterback has made against the cap and won a Super Bowl is like thirteen percent or fourteen or something around that. I think it's Steve Young um, yeah, back in the day, right, right. Yeah, I think the average is around eight percent. You know, um, and when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl with Russell, he, I think, was the lowest cap hit of any quarterback ever. I think it was, you know, 2 or 3% because he was still on his rookie deal second year. But, look, that's tough. But if, you're, if the choices you're giving me, Dave, are one, door, door number one is fire Pete Carroll, find another great coach that can not only come in here and help Russell be even better than he is now, but also figure out how to make the defense worth enough to win a Super Bowl with or door number two is keep Pete Carroll keep Russell Wilson and hope that Pete can figure out how to make this defense good enough to win a Super Bowl I think that's a no-brainer like you've seen the coaches we've had over the years in the Seahawks it is not easy to find a coach that can build a program that has a strong enough philosophy to actually be a true championship caliber coach and, right and, He's right. proven he's one of those guys. Well, I think uh, it was you, Brian, that tweeted this out the other day that it just makes you appreciate Mike Holmgren and Pete Carroll. Was that you that tweeted that, by the way? Yes. Yeah, yes. about the culture those- and the program building. When you allow a guy like Mike or Pete to let everything start with him, meaning, okay, the culture is going to start with you. Uh, building a program is going to start with you. For example, in Dallas, it doesn't start with Garrett. It starts with Jerry Jones, obviously. And look at what's happening down there. So kudos to Paul Allen, uh, may he rest in peace, uh, to uh, you know for allowing guys like Mike and Pete to walk in here and just getting out of the way. And somebody responded to that tweet uh, the other day that, man, this is, this is why you're so focused on Brian who that next owner is going to be is, is that next yep. owner, whether it's Jody or somebody else, which I think eventually it will be somebody else from the outside. Are they going to allow somebody who knows what they're doing to take over instead of trying to act like they know what the hell they're doing? Because let's face it, Paul Allen was a genius. Paul Allen was a very, very smart guy, but he was smart enough to know what he doesn't know, and he allowed Pete and Mike to do things that they know how to do as opposed to getting in the way and stepping on their feet. So um, I'm very curious, Brian, to see if that next donor has that same philosophy because that philosophy has worked. Well, and the interesting thing there, Dave, is I know you're a Sonics fan, so your your view of Paul Allen mostly is around the Seahawks. Yeah. But Paul was a basketball fan, and he was a very different owner on the on the basketball side with the Trailblazers. Yeah. Why do you think that he is, by the way? Ev- Why? He meddled in everything. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do I think what that he was a bit? Why was he? Fan? Why was he different with the Blazers than he was with the Seahawks? That's exactly it. He he was a passionate basketball fan, so that he he bought that team, and it was like your childhood dream of owning a professional sports franchise that yeah. you care passionately about. So he wanted to be involved in the draft. He wanted to be buying second round picks. He wanted to do all these crazy things. You know, he, you know, anyway, he very much was in that. The Seahawks purchase for him was not about passion around football. It was around civic duty. Like he saw an opportunity to do something for the city that he knew mattered. And he liked football. I don't think he loved football. And so for him, it was like, yeah, I'm going to delegate that off to people that really know that part of the, the business. And, you know, to, to pick another owner that's going to come in and not be as passionate about football, yep. 
I think that's a tall order. It's probably not as likely as we, we might hope. Yeah. Uh, Brian Nemhauser, Hawk blogger. Uh, I'm softy, obviously, with us uh, every every week here, uh, except when it's Thanksgiving and we don't do it. Let's go back and talk about Sunday in Carolina. Kevin Harlan was on the radio show yesterday, Brian, and he said that the win over Carolina by the Seahawks, in his opinion, was the most impressive road win of the season so far. Somebody tweeted back and said, what about the Chargers winning in Seattle? And I would say, okay, yeah, that's big. Uh, The Colts winning at the Redskins. But there's no doubt that was at least among the most impressive road wins of the year and certainly the most impressive road win of the year for the Hawks. And what I loved about it is that they went down there and they averaged 2.7 a carry and they still won the game. Yeah. I mean, uh, you talk about this season, put that up against like memorable Seahawks road victories in the Pete Carroll era. I mean, we were talking about this with with some folks the other day and, you know, I think at new England in 2016, I think, you know, qualifies. Yep. Um, But, you know, maybe at Houston in 2013 certainly qualifies, but, you know, maybe at Chicago that 2012, um, you know, some people brought up, but I think this was one of the most impressive and improbable victories I can remember on the road for the Seahawks during the Pete Carroll era. There was a dozen ways they could have lost this game and probably only one or two that they could have won. And uh, they found one of them. Yeah, no doubt, man. One of the great road wins, uh, I think, in the NFL this year for sure, and a huge win for the Seahawks. And how about the stones on Brian Schottenheimer, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, the fourth down touchdown to the corner of the end zone to David Moore. Uh, Great recognition going after a backup corner, but still, that's a hard play to make on first down, let alone fourth down, man. That was crazy. Uh, That was for me to play the game. And, and, I swear, when the ball was in the air, I literally said out loud, that is a low percentage throw. Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, I mean, Russell's getting a lot of credit, which he absolutely deserves. David Moore did a fantastic job on that play, holding off the defender and catching it with one hand and cool as the other side of the pillow. I mean, he was, he was really composed. And I think that guy's been really impressive as a second-year player. Was that a Stuart Scott reference, by the way? It ended up being, yeah. That wasn't bad. I like it. Well, David Moore's been gigantic. Tyler Lockett was gigantic in the game on Sunday, and Dick and I have gone round and round about uh, about Tyler Lockett. You know, he's on pace to end up uh, as, you know, compared to last year's receiving numbers in the top 20 in the NFL and catches yards and would have been good enough for number two in touchdowns. He's on pace for 12 right now. But uh, that, that big play, obviously, uh, on the last drive of the game, the touchdown by him, uh, is, is it is it kind of become obvious the pecking order of wide receivers on this team when Baldwin's healthy, in your opinion? Uh no, <laughs> not really. Like, I think I think we don't know what we have with Baldwin at all right now because he finally looked like he was getting healthy, and then he took a step back and battled through this past week. Um, you know, Lockett obviously has been the most consistent, no doubt, through the whole season. But, uh, you know, David Moore, you know, that guy's been fantastic this season. So, uh, yeah, Lockett certainly is is the guy that's had the best, most complete season, no doubt about that. 
but I'm really high on David Moore, and I think he can do more than he's even done so far. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, look, man, I think I think it's kind of amazing and really fun to see guys develop in front of us. You and I talked all offseason long about how this year was about, let's face it, just checking some boxes. Let's find that next corner. Let's find that next safety. Let's let's kind of maybe, uh, you know, uh, shorten the shopping list over the offseason for, for John Schneider. And there certainly are still some areas of need on this football team, but I, I wonder if cornerback is one of them. I mean, that, that tackle that Trey Flowers made on third down to force that long field goal by by Gano, I think Flowers has had his ups and downs, but certainly looks like he could have a career in Seattle. Uh, can we can we kind of cross cornerback off the list? Are we, are we good with Shaq Griffin, Trey Flowers, and Justin Coleman right now? Uh, I'm not. You're not? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm not. I, 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 I'm a, this is one where um, I think the Seahawks have been doing well this season despite or in spite of their cornerback play, not because of it. Um, I think Trey Flowers has done well for a converted safety forced into action in his first year and has definitely been a good tackler and good at forcing fumbles. I think both he and Shaq Griffin have real have had real inconsistencies in their coverage. And I think Shaq Griffin has regressed quite a bit from mm. last year to this year. So, um, you know, that's a big concern for, for me. And safety is an even bigger concern. So I think one of the things that's really amazing about this season is I think some of those big question marks have actually gone the wrong direction for the Seahawks on defense. Wow. And they're still finding a way to win. Yeah, which means it's mostly about scheme because I think you're right. I mean, outside of Bobby Wagner and Frank Clark, uh, this defense isn't chock full of pro bowlers, but yet here they are, what, top 11, top 12 in the NFL in scoring defense, which which I think is all you could have asked for. If you would have told me this year, Brian, that the defense was going to be average, uh, the epitome of mediocre, I think I would have signed up for that. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've told you, I thought that after this five-game stretch, the Seahawks would be a bottom third of the NFL in scoring defense or yardage allowed. Turns out they are definitely bottom third in yards per play, but they're eighth in the NFL in points allowed, and they're like maybe 15th or 16th in yards allowed per game. That's that's higher. That's better than I would have expected for sure for this talent. Hey, let's uh, let's get a quick thought on the Niners in town on on Sunday. You know, it's interesting that you think about that 2013 NFC Championship game, where if you remember. The Seahawks beat the Niners in Seattle that year in the regular season, lost to them down there when Frank Gore peeled off that big long run right up the middle against the Hawks and then came here and lost the championship game, of course. Ever since then, the Seahawks have won eight in a row against the Niners, nine in a row overall, and they've totally fallen apart. The rivalry doesn't feel as bitter as it did, obviously, three or four years ago when Jim Harbaugh was there, but when they walk into that stadium, I think it's going to kind of rekindle some memories. And speaking of memories, Richard Sherman coming back to town on on, on Sunday, everybody talking about how he should be received during the game on Sunday, pregame on Sunday. I know you have some thoughts on that. What are you sharing with people? Well, you know, I've been pretty pleased with how most people are handling this, at least fans that I've been interacting with. Most people uh, say that they would absolutely cheer for Richard, um, you know, if he if they given an opportunity to. Um, no one's hoping that he, like, picks off five passes and, and wins the game for the 49ers. But, um, look, Richard Sherman was a Seahawk last year and became a 49er not on his own volition. The Seahawks cut him while he was injured, um, 
they did not choose to, to match his contract, which everyone said was a team-friendly deal that the 49ers got him on. So the Seahawks pushed him out, and they pushed him out at a pretty vulnerable point in his career. And did he have some words to say that weren't necessarily nice? But yes. Do I think the Seahawks lost their way the last two years? I absolutely do. And, and here's the thing, Dave. I think Richard Sherman was one of the only people in that building, in the VMAC, that was holding everybody accountable to the threshold, to the, to the level of play, to the level of expectations, and the identity that they, they had formed. And so it wasn't his job to do that. He overstepped. I get all that. But, you know, I'm an I'm a all-timer with Richard Sherman. I think he's one of the best players that's ever put on the Seahawks uniform. He is a key part of how we got one of the best moments in my life uh, as a sports fan and just as a person. Sure. And um, I I will never boo him. That will never happen. Well, I think think this for me, uh, first of all, that last part about uh, him being one of the best players ever in Seahawk history, I think you're delusional if you disagree with that. That's number one. He's the greatest corner to ever play for the Seahawks, and he might be the greatest defensive player ever to play in Seattle. We can debate that all day long, but he certainly is in the conversation. Uh, I think for me it's pretty simple. When he comes out for pregame warm-ups and he waves to the crowd, you give him a wave, you say thank you, you applaud the guy, and then once the game starts, he plays for the Niners. Hope he falls flat on his face because I hope every Niner falls flat <laughs> on his face. And that's got nothing to do with Richard. It's got everything to do with the uniform he's wearing. So that's it, that's all, man. To me, it's a pretty simple proposition. If you're a Seahawk fan, there's no part of you at all that should be rooting for Richard Sherman during the game on Sunday. To me, that's going way too far. Pre-game, hell yes. Give the guy his due, show him his love, and then when the game kicks off, he's a member of the Niners, the hell with him. I can live with that. Uh, that's, 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 just comp- that's just competing. Yeah, there's you. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you gave us the okay, the green light. Now I feel so much better, by the way. Uh, any, you uh, wanted to know, now you know. I, yeah, you know what? I, uh, I do know. Uh, any, any concerns about Nick Mullins and the Niners? Uh, you know, I, I just you know, got a hard time imagining these guys moving the ball on the Seahawks defense. I think the Niner defense is also pretty good. So, you know, I could honestly see a, see a maybe a maybe a 20 to 7 or a 17 to 6 type game on Sunday, man. Well, here's the thing. Um, you know, the, the 49ers actually have a lot of injuries they're kind of working through, but if if I didn't know anything about the records and I was just looking at how these two teams are built, I would actually say the 49ers match up pretty well with the Seahawks. Um, they have a good running game, one of the better running games in the league. The Seahawks have one of the worst rushing defenses in the NFL. That alone is going to give the 49ers a chance to keep this closer than people want. And then if you look on the defensive side, the 49ers defense has been pretty good. Now, they've lost a lot of people for a lot of different reasons in the last couple weeks, but they've got good interior line play. They are good against the run, um, and they're one of the best teams in defending the pass or the run on first down in the NFL. They don't give a a lot of yardage on that play. So I think this is going to be another potential example, like the Carolina game, where Brian Schottenheimer is going to have to show that he's willing to, if the run game isn't working and they're giving you the pass game, he's going to have to show he's willing to go that direction. Yeah, no doubt. All right, man. Great stuff. Appreciate this, and we will talk in a week, pal. See you. All right, thanks. You got it. Go Hawks. Brian Nemhauser, hawkblogger.com, at hawkblogger on Twitter. Check him out. Uh, We will talk to you guys next week, uh, hopefully after a win over the Niners on Sunday. See you then. Go Hawks. Bye.